What if you were able to understand the subconscious filters that dictate the quality of your life and are the make or break of your inner peace? In this episode, we're going to be getting into Zen Stoic philosophy and the framework behind it that allows it to create unshakable inner peace for the person who practices it. I want to share a story with you that has really impacted my life. And this specific story is probably something that you've heard before, but this particular version of the story is what really riveted me and has changed the way that I thought about myself and my journey. It has also impacted several of my clients and helped them to understand themselves better and to treat themselves with more compassion and grace through the trials and errors of life that we all experience in order to learn and become more of who we are. So this is the story of the prodigal son. Now, this particular version, if you've listened to the podcast, I've told it a few times, and this is the rendition that I actually learned from Guy Ritchie, who is the filmmaker who created movies like Snatch. He created the most recent Aladdin. And so Guy Ritchie is a filmmaker, but he's also a masterful storyteller. And when he shared this particular rendition of the story, I felt more seen, heard, and understood than I ever had in listening to someone telling this story. So he shared this on the Joe Rogan experience and it goes like this. Prodigal son is a story that comes from the Bible. Now I'm not particularly religious myself, but this is an archetypal story that is relevant to the self narrative that we all have through this life and the way that we develop and grow through our lives and how we learn. So the story goes like this. There's a father who has two sons, an older son and a younger son. The older son always listens to his father and he does everything that he says. He obeys him without question. The younger son is a little bit more rebellious. He's a little bit more adventurous. And so he likes to go out to see what the world is all about. He doesn't just take his father's word for it. He likes to go out and actually test for himself what life is like. And so the conversation about their inheritance comes up and the younger son wants his inheritance and he wants it now so that he can go out and see what the world is all about. And so reluctantly, his father gives him his inheritance. And so he goes out, he travels across the land and goes and has all kinds of adventurous experiences. He explores all of his fantasies, all of his pleasures that he desires, and just goes out and sees the world and starts spending his inheritance in order to do so. Now, as he goes, he begins over the years to begin to run out of that inheritance. And as he's running out of that inheritance, he's starting to you know, think a little differently. He's wondering if this is really the path for him. And he runs out of his inheritance so much so that he ends up having to get a job feeding food to pigs. He has no skills because he just spent all of his time out there trying to see what the world is about and fulfilling his fantasies and going and exploring all kinds of experiences. And so without skills, the only job he can get is feeding food to pigs. So he's doing that and he's doing it to survive. And he starts to want to go back home and go back to his father. So word begins to get around and his father hears that his son is thinking of returning home. So his father gets really excited and he says, let's kill the fattened calf and have a big feast for, uh, for my son's return. And so for the first time ever, the older brother talked back to his dad and he said, dad, what are you doing? I mean, my younger brother, he wouldn't listen to you. He rebelled against you. He never obeyed you. And now he's coming back and you're just going to welcome him with open arms. Like, what's this about? Like, I want to know the story. Like, what, what are you doing here? And his father says to him, Yes, but it is important that we focus on the return and the rejoice of your younger brother, that he's made mistakes, but we want to welcome him back in. 
So the older brother isn't able to understand this and it doesn't make any sense to him. And in some ways, he just kind of gets pushed off to the side from his dad, right? His dad doesn't truly hear his concerns here. And he's just essentially letting his brother come back in, in a way that the older brother can't understand because the older brother can't understand the significance of the journey that his younger brother has been on. And so the younger son comes back. He says to his dad, dad, will you take me back? And the dad says, you were lost and now you're found. Now in a literal sense, that story may make sense, may not. But the essence of the story is what is truly important here. And is to understand and look at this in this way. That in that story, you are the father. You're enough. You've always been enough. The older son is the ego. The one that gets wrapped up in the outside world, seeking the approval and adopting the thoughts and beliefs that will allow that, that will allow them to essentially be accepted in the world. The younger son is that wild, feral, rebellious nature within you, that rascal, if you will, that wants to go out and see what the world's all about, that wants to go and try things and experience things for yourself and not just get secondhand information, but to truly live your experiences and to learn through them. And in some ways, like the younger son, we have to almost, almost go out and make the mistakes in order to understand and learn the value of ourselves. We have to devalue ourselves in some way, or not that we have to, but we often will experience devaluing ourselves and not having healthy boundaries and not having intentional decisions in order to realize the importance and the value of those decisions. And in our recklessness, in our sense of adventure, we have no choice but to come back to ourselves eventually, come back to ourselves and realize that we are enough and we've always been enough. And it's through that recklessness and that adventure and that impulsivity that we learn the value of who we are and that we come back to ourselves ultimately. And one of the reasons that this story resonates with me is because this story is very similar to what I experienced in my life. Through my mom's death, I ended up getting an inheritance when I was in my early 20s. And not exactly the same thing happened, but a similar thing happened where I, I had all this, this money and I wanted to go out and see what the world was about, but I also wanted to really learn and I wanted to get ahead of everyone around me. I wanted to be successful. So I invested the money in things that I thought would help me grow. I wasn't necessarily pursuing all my fantasies per se, but I was looking for things that were going to help me grow. I was trying to get ahead of things. I was trying to move faster and be expedient in my path of success and not give myself essentially the chance to struggle or to, to do things that were, were difficult that would help me grow. Instead, I was trying trying to essentially one up the universe and then trying to find the fast way or the expedient path towards my success. And through doing that, I remember I squandered essentially all of my inheritance and in taking that path. And when I had done so, I had perceived that I had so much and that I lost it all or that I spent it all or that I blew it all. And I remember this experience for the longest time. I wouldn't talk about it with anyone. I would keep it to myself. I felt such shame around it. I felt like I was stupid. I felt like other people would have done much better in my situation and that I wasted a good opportunity. And then I just kept asking, I kept feeling this shame and it created a ton of emotional debt in my system and activated emotional debt that I hadn't even acknowledged yet that was there. And then one day I just asked myself, I said, what was the purpose of all of that? Why did I have that experience? Why, what, what was I supposed to learn through doing that? Because at the end of the day, I remembered that I'm sovereign and that I'm responsible for everything that happened exactly as it happened. So there must be some kind of a higher purpose here. And then when I asked that question, what was really beautiful and brilliant was that the answer that came through 
was the framework that essentially makes Zen Stoic philosophy what it is, and is the framework of intentions and delusions. Now, this framework has led me to being able to experience unshakable inner peace within myself. And no matter how tough life gets or what kind of challenges are thrown at me, I'm able to turn to this framework and allow myself to come back into the present moment. This framework has gotten me through divorce, death of loved ones, loss of business, injury like a herniated disc that I had. It has gotten me through business challenges, relationships falling out, all kinds of things. Any challenge that you could possibly imagine, this framework of intentions and delusions has helped me with it. And it has also helped dozens of my clients to resolve things that they never even realized were there that were holding them back. In other words, those subconscious filters that dictate the quality of someone's life and make or break their inner peace. Because intentions are a way of engaging with life and they move faster than any thought that you have and they go deeper than any emotion because they essentially create the context for which your emotions emerge and your thoughts come through with. And so understanding intentions and delusions is a way of understanding yourself at a deep level and a way of bringing yourself back into the presence of life. So Zen Stoic philosophy ultimately is the blending of Zen Buddhism and Stoicism in order to create unshakable inner peace. Now, Zen Buddhism is a sect of Japanese Buddhism that essentially has no doctrines, no stories, no methodologies to follow or believe in. It is essentially to transcend logic, to be perfectly and simply human here in the now in your present moment. And that is the way to create enlightenment. It goes beyond following any doctrines or following any kind of philosophy in order to do so. But the essence of what truly inspired me about Zen, Zen is all about being perfectly and simply human, not pretending to be an angel, not pretending to be a demon or a saint or uh, someone who's all powerful, but to simply be who you are. And Zen oftentimes is summed up as when hungry, eat, when tired, sleep essentially lining up and relaxing into your nature. Stoicism, on the other hand, is more of a Western philosophy that comes from ancient Greece. Now, Stoicism was inspired by a man named Zeno of Citium, and Zeno was a merchant who had a shipwreck. And upon his shipwreck, he lost everything that he had and realized that even though he had lost all of his material possessions and his ability to conduct business, he was still there. And that storm was out of his control. But what he could control was his own thinking. He could control what his perception was. And so through that philosophy, Stoicism began to emerge. And Stoicism was a philosophy that was talked about while sitting on what is called the Stoa or the painted porch. And that is where the philosophy emerged. It emerged through dialogue and self-reflection. So Stoicism is essentially a philosophy that espouses that while we cannot control what happens to us, we can control how we respond to the way life happens. And we can always respond in one of four ways. We can respond with wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance. Wisdom is essentially the ability to act in ways that are ultimately wise, that are for the greater good of self and others. That is not to engage in foolishness or delusion. Temperance is to essentially not be self-indulgent to have a sense of temperance on your desires, to have a sense of control on your impulses. Justice is to essentially do right by others and to act in ways that are fair and just. And courage is the ability to act in spite of fear in order to pursue the greater good. So these four virtues of Stoicism essentially allow the person who's practicing it to have a means of self-reflection and a means of responding to life, especially in events that they cannot control, but that they can control how they respond to those events. So this is really key. 
Stoicism is a practice of self-reflection and character examination consistently so that you may grow and become a better version of yourself. So in bringing the two of these together, emerge Zen Stoic philosophy. And Zen Stoic philosophy is ultimately to be perfectly and simply human while also living a life of intention. And the intention always brings you back to the present moment of being authentically and genuinely yourself, exactly as you are without having to latch onto or attach to doctrines. Zen, for a lot of people to practice, can sometimes seem impractical. It is pretty much a straight shot to enlightenment, but is not a it, but is not an easy practice to have, especially because there's nothing to grab onto in Zen. So it can seem impractical to people. Stoicism can seem a bit harsh or rigid when certain people practice it and can sometimes give the impression that your emotions are not important or that you have to reject your emotions. That's not how it actually is in practice, but typically a lot of the thing that some a lot of the things that people assume about it is that there is it is devoid of emotion. So with Zen Stoicism, what we're doing is we're honoring the nature of the human being, and allowing this philosophy to be a guide to bring a person back to the present moment, back to engaging fully and presently in their lives. Now, Zen Stoic philosophy operates on the meta principle that the whole purpose to life is to live it. Plain and simple. Everything else is through our free will where we get to inject the meaning that we choose, that there is no automatic or inherent meaning in our lives and that we get to create that meaning. But over and above all else, the purpose of our life, the purpose of our physical incarnation in this reality is to live it. And to live life, we must engage with life. And engaging with life, there are five different ways that we engage and five ways that we disengage. And so the five ways that we engage in life are the following. The first is feeling, next is thinking, then doing, expressing, and being. Those are the five ways that we engage in life. And the intentions and delusions framework is based upon the ways in which we engage in life and the ways in which we disengage in life. Now, we talked about in the previous episode, we discussed the idea of emotional debt. Now, where does emotional debt come from? Emotional debt comes from when we attempt to disengage in life in order to bypass an experience. And so the intentions and delusions framework is a framework that brings a person back into present moment awareness back into their body, back associated into life rather than off in some abstraction of life. Remember, the root of suffering is attachment to thought. And typically what happens is when we're disengaging in life, we're usually using some kind of a thought to disengage and to disassociate. And that emotional debt is a result of chronic dissociation from life. And it's something that all humans do because we are taught, conditioned, and rewarded for disengaging with life. So what are the intentions and delusions? I'm going to briefly go over them in this episode. And then in the next five episodes, we're going to be going into each of them in depth. So they're each pair bonds that point to a different way in which we engage and disengage in life. So the first one is embrace versus resistance. Embrace is a way of feeling where resistance is a way of not feeling. When you're living in the intention of embrace, you are allowing yourself to fully feel your emotions. You're allowing yourself to fully feel life itself. And you are approaching life with a sense of gratitude and acceptance for everything that you feel, realizing that all that emotion is information. When we are resisting life, we are essentially pushing away and trying to not feel. So we want to keep in mind that the intentions and delusions are not based upon the content of what you're doing, but the context of why you're doing it. So a great example that I really like to explain this particular one is that if you think of somebody like a David Goggins, the content of what he's doing looks like discipline. 
It looks like he's just pushing hard. He's working out. He's inspiring people. He's motivating people. He's getting them fired up. That's the content. But if you listen to why he's doing it, it's to get away from feelings, to numb himself, to get away from his past. So when you think about it like this, the context of why he's doing it is a way of not feeling what is there, what wants to be felt. So this is how you can look at intentions and delusions. They're not content-based. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but it's the context of why you're doing it that will point you to one or the other. So that's embrace versus resistance. It's a way of feeling for embrace and a way of not feeling for resistance. Next is understanding versus control. Understanding is a way of thinking. Control is a way of not thinking. The simplest way to experience understanding versus control is that understanding comes from asking questions and leading with a sense of curiosity, leading with an intention to learn something. Control is going in with already set beliefs and conclusions that you've made about a situation or a person. So the reason why control is a way of not thinking is because we're just regurgitating narratives that we've adopted. We're not actually thinking. We're not checking our assumptions. When we practice understanding, we're asking new questions. And anytime you make a statement, you convince your brain into thinking that what you've said is a fact. Whereas when you ask a question, you tell your brain that there is something to be learned here or that whatever it is that's in front of you can be solved or resolved. So understanding approaches life with a sense of curiosity, with an intention to learn, realizing that your perception of life can always expand. It can always broaden and you can always experience more. You can learn more and you can develop who you are at a deeper level by asking questions. Next is discipline versus expediency. Discipline is the pursuit of what is meaningful. Expediency is the pursuit of what is gratifying. So you can think of discipline as a way of doing and expediency as a way of not doing. So if you think about when someone is trying to cut corners on something, they are trying not to do. Now, what's fascinating about expediency is that people will put far more energy sometimes into not doing something than just doing the thing that would get them the result. I'll give you an example. If you've ever watched the show, Botched, which is a show about plastic surgeons correcting plastic surgery that went wrong in people. And there are some people on that show, uh, some people have had genuine accidents and they're not trying to like look a certain way. It's not for the vanity. It's literally to reconstruct themselves from an accident. But there are other people on there that are essentially addicted to plastic surgery. One gentleman in which had over a hundred procedures done. So this person has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in procedures, and some of them were implants for muscles, like in other words, like abs and pecs and delts. And so he used implants for muscles and essentially spent far more money and far more energy into just not working out, just not doing. So expediency is anytime we are attempting not to do the action that is required of us, we're trying to avoid the work that needs doing. Whereas discipline is doing the work that needs doing that is meaningful to us and that will create meaning and satisfaction in our lives. Next is sincerity versus performance. Sincerity is a way of expressing. Performance is a way of not expressing. When you are expressing yourself authentically and genuinely, you are expressing what is alive within you. When we are performing, when we're trying to be someone else, or when we're trying to say what we think are, is going to appease another person, we're not actually expressing what's internally. What we're doing is we're performing based on what we assume that person wants to hear. So one way to think about this is, have you ever felt like you didn't want to do something internally and then externally you agreed because you wanted to appease that person or you wanted them to approve of you? This is where sincerity and performance really show up is when it comes to agreeing to things that we don't truly want to do 
or when we allow people to push our boundaries without us expressing what is and isn't okay with us. So when we are performing, we're not truly expressing what's alive in us. We're actually impressing, if anything. We're trying to impress upon that person what we want them to think of us versus sincerity is when we are expressing what is true and alive within us. And lastly is unity versus separation. Unity is a way of being. Separation is a way of not being. And this is ultimately what points to our sense of presence in the world and in reality. When we are totally present in reality, everything is one. We're not separating things with our thoughts. We're not attaching to things with our thoughts. We're not even perceiving ourselves as a separate ego from everyone else. We are simply in the present. And unity is the meditation upon the interconnectedness of all things, as Marcus Aurelius talks about in Meditations. When you meditate upon the interconnectedness of all things, you realize that everything exists because of relationship and that the only that, that what gives everything meaning is its relationship to other things. In other words, if I start talking about a penguin, I can't talk about a penguin without talking about its environment because it wouldn't mean anything. I can't talk about a penguin without also talking about ice and Antarctica and cold weather. I can't talk about a penguin penguin without talking about how it's a bird that doesn't fly. I can't talk about a penguin without talking about other birds. So you see how everything starts to weave together. And it is a unity that connects all things and connects all people. Separation is the isolation and the way of not being present in reality and separating yourself and isolating yourself as being alone in this world, alone and not connected to everyone and everything. And when you look at the universe as this mechanical dead thing, this dumb thing that's not smart or that doesn't feel, then you start to feel as though you are separate and that you are essentially unwelcome in this universe. Where the reality is, is that you and me are part of nature. We're not existing outside of nature. And so when we remember that, we realize that we have our own, yes, we have our own unique individual experience that is totally unique to us but everyone else is also having a unique individual experience that is unique to them. And the fact that we're all having this different and unique individual experience is the paradox that unites us all. So we're all experiencing this journey together. So those five pair bonds are the intentions and delusions. Embrace versus resistance, understanding versus control, discipline versus expediency, sincerity versus performance, unity versus separation. These are the five ways in which we engage and disengage with life. When we engage in life, we create that emotional prosperity. And when we disengage, we create the emotional debt. So stay tuned for the next episode as we're going to be going through each of these pair bonds in more detail so that you can develop a better understanding and a better way to use them and engage with these in your everyday life to create that unshakable inner peace. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, comment, and subscribe, and please leave a review or share this with a friend if this episode resonated and inspired you. This is how the podcast spreads, and I couldn't do it without the engaged listeners. Zen Stoic Philosophy has had over 250,000 downloads now from its inception, and it's been completely because of the listenership and people spreading the word and sharing it with the people that they care about. So thank you so much for being part of this journey with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode where we will talk about Embrace versus resistance.